The following contains plot spoilers, and the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad, it's just a show. A short time ago, in a neighborhood not too far away, like, really, right around the corner, this is Totally Super. <laughs> Welcome to Totally Super, where we, uh... We review every superhero movie ever made. My name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. And today we're not just reviewing a superhero movie. There is a movie, a, well, a series it's of not movies. That we're not, it's not that we're not just reviewing a superhero movie. We, we are not reviewing a superhero movie. We are not reviewing a superhero movie. This is Star Wars. And I think yes. as part of what we do, reviewing Star Wars is going to be something we have to do for as long as they are doing the movies because Star Wars is one of the reasons, and we've talked about this on other podcasts, that you and I are friends. Yes, we've actually we've come up with a very intricate reason for justifying why we will do Star Wars reviews, and it pretty much comes down to we like Star Wars, deal with it. That's true. That's that, I mean, that, there's, there is truth to that statement. But I would say on a personal level, there are a lot of people I could talk, to st- talk about Star Wars with, but the reason you and I are friends, and we've talked about this on another podcast, is that on the day that we met, on the first Taylor read for Much Ado About Nothing, was that it? Much Ado About Nothing? It was uh, Much Ado About Nothing, yeah. Much Ado About Nothing. We were both working as stage actors in the D.C. area, and the first read through for that you had two things that just fascinated me. One, you had an old Palm Pilot with a keyboard that transformed like a transformer so you could write on the Palm Pilot uh, the, as sort the of a old days of word the Palm Pilots. Um, which I'd never seen before, and I had a Palm Pilot, but I didn't know you could do that. The second thing you had was a Star Wars novel, and for the life of me, I had not seen a person, much less an adult, read a Star Wars novel since the Timothy Zahn novels came out in the 90s. So immediately I was like, this guy's got to be my friend, because <laughs> it was unabashed. And, you and, get, and from that moment forth, I had no choice. And it was at a time when you didn't really proclaim Star Wars love. It was right around prequel era Star Wars coming out. And the the star of Star Wars had fallen quite a bit from the heyday and from its second heyday, which it is supposedly in the middle of now. Mm-hmm. So Star Wars is something that has brought you and I together as friends. It is something that's really important to me. If you ever see my basement right now, it is... Uh, all six Star Wars episode movies, as well as a Rogue One poster, framed along all the walls. There's an R2-D2 cutout stand-up. There's a Millennium Falcon hanging on the wall. And I literally ordered the posters for Last Jedi and uh, and Solo to arrive on Tuesday this week. So, And I've made space on the wall so I can have those up. Star Wars is a big deal for me. What is yeah. your which, experience with Which Star reminds Wars? me, actually, before we go further with this, I want to give a a spoiler warning here. And yes, technically there's a spoiler warning in that obviously we're going to be talking about Solo. Uh, But my belief is we, because you and I, since Star Wars is such a part of our geekdom, uh, we cannot talk about this movie in a vacuum of the events of all the other films and other Star Wars related material. Uh, So this is going to be a spoiler warning for anything in the Star Wars canon, essentially. Uh, yeah, anything that is anything that is known to have happened up to this point. Now, mm-hmm. it will necessarily involve rebels and clone wars, which is yes, not something I was very expecting. much so. 
it will and which will probably will probably hijack the rest of our conversation frankly it will mm-hmm. evolve there are there are spoiler not spoiler uh, easter eggs in this film dating all the way back to the the original han solo novels when they didn't have the rights to all of the characters to put them in a novel together there are little things and we're not going to talk about that that much but there are little things that are referencing stuff that's like way like deep deep cuts in this film mm-hmm. so be warned about that but okay your experience with star wars why why is star wars and i assume it is important to you why is it important to you um well let me answer that on two levels first on just the very simple intuitive level um they were super fun movies great characters high adventure uh i'm somebody who's always loved good sci-fi and fantasy and uh so you know i was absolutely drawn to star wars as a kid like many of us um from a more heady perspective uh I have always liked to think of Star Wars as the great American myth. Uh, And by myth, I mean a shared story that binds a culture together. Uh, Myths have, you know, certain similar elements like great heroes, uh, you know, great villains, quests, that sort of thing. But the beauty of a myth is that it provides characters that act as touchstones that the entire culture can share. Uh, frequently you will have myths associated with old religions, uh, you know, Greek myths being the, uh, being the most popular. Uh, so for instance, like in ancient Greece, if anybody mentioned something about Zeus, everybody knew who you were talking about. And even if the stories that you'd heard had been slightly different, there was still just sort of this general shared gestalt, if you will. Um, because America is a melting pot, particularly when it comes to religion, uh, we do not have that kind of shared touchstone that religion frequently provides. Star Wars, uh, and especially now that it's become even more mainstream, uh, has become one of those myths. Uh, Just about everyone, even if you're not really into Star Wars, the phrase, Luke, I am your father, immediately connotates something. Um, And uh, it it is a story that has seeped its way into the... uh, in some places more than others, but it has seeped its way into the very fabric of our shared culture. Uh, so that is the heady reason why I really like Star Wars. How about you, sir? For me, Star Wars is... There is a bit of nostalgia for Star Wars. There's a bit of seeking to feel that first high that Star Wars gave you, you know, chasing the proverbial dragon. That mm-hmm. when I was a kid, I don't remember seeing anything in the theater for the first time prior to seeing Return of the Jedi. And mm-hmm. I do remember being on the playground at my daycare prior to Return of the Jedi, which Return of the Jedi, I'm dating myself here, but Return of the Jedi came out when I was seven. It came out within days of the birth of my of the first brother that I ever had. It uh, And I remember being on the playground it, at daycare before it came out discussing whether or not we were going to find out that Darth Vader was in fact Luke's father. Now I don't oh, remember. I know I lying. saw. I know I saw Empire Strikes Back in the theater because there was not really another way to see it at that point in time in the early eighties, eighty two ish. So I know I saw it in the theater, and I know I must have seen it enough, at least once or twice, um, in order to be able to have that conversation on the playground about whether or not we believed Darth Vader's possible lie. I remember reading the the kids' novelization, which was just mostly a picture book, before the movie came out. I mm-hmm. remember being caught up in the hype of Return of the Jedi coming out. 
I don't remember having seen Empire Strikes Back in the theater, and yet I knew it. So my earliest cinematic knowledge is of Star Wars, knowing the events of Empire Strikes Back without and remembering vaguely that people didn't like it because it didn't have mm-hmm. an ending. Hashtag not my Star Wars. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that is it. That is I think it's that. Ever since then, even all the episodes, something about that first Star Wars blasting onto the screen, the music, the fanfare, it's something that the new stories have lost. But the the iconography, when it hits, it's like coming home for Thanksgiving dinner. It is immediately hitting a part of my brain that brings me something more than your typical joy of watching a movie unfold. So Star hmm. Wars, for me, when it fails, it hurts. And when it succeeds, it soars. But I am predisposed to like Star Wars more, I think, than most people. For instance, as Mm -hmm. I am unpacking, I have recently moved from one home to another. And as I was unpacking, I decided to put on a Star Wars film. I said, I'm going to put on Star Wars while I unpack, but something I haven't watched in a really long time. So I put on episode three. Darn it if I only made it through an hour and a half of unpacking because I had to watch the last 40 minutes sitting on a couch with popcorn in my hand. It Mm -hmm. was just... I have been an apologist for the prequels. If you can go over on Trek Off and hear me apologize for them lots. Um, I loved The Last Jedi, despite a lot of other people saying they didn't like it. I loved Rogue One slightly less than the others because it didn't give me quite what I was looking for. But this has been, you know, I just took to Solo, and we'll talk about this too. I just took my seven-year-old to go see it, and it was a big deal. It's something I share with my both my sons now. It is... It is a not just a cultural touchstone, but it is a touchstone within my family and my life. So I am aware of the bias that I might have that has nothing to do with the movie itself. Mm-hmm. But that is what Star Wars is to me. Yeah. Um, well, and to be fair, there's probably there is a lot of overlap in fandom between people who are into superheroes and people who are into Star Wars. Uh, so that that predisposition to like it. Uh, I think that will be shared by, if well, certainly not all, uh, definitely more than a few of our listeners. I will amend your statement and say there is a predisposition to have an emotion about it. The question is, is whether uh, really, or not that have predisposition you fa- is, have you, is to like it. Because I've, I've found, in, I have found uh, with my community in geekdom that the majority, uh, you know, not overwhelming necessarily, but certainly a, a clear majority of people who are into comics also liked Star Wars. Uh, not like let, there are let me people, rephrase people my who have a yeah, go ahead. It's a predisposition to like Star Wars as a franchise, as a as a thing. Yes. The predisposition to like a particular part of Star Wars, a particular movie, a particular they you the overlap is and what I mean by that is, you know, for people like my neighbor who I've talked about on this show and on uh, and on track who has never seen a Star Wars film if he sees it and he doesn't like it he'll go yeah I didn't like it not for me the people mm-hmm. who like who like superhero movies enough to listen to a superhero podcast are going to have a reaction to Star Wars be it positive or negative it's not just going to be eh, that's all right um yeah which... th- no that's that's a very good way of putting it the uh the way geeks re- uh tend to relate to, well, let's use Star Wars as an example, but really, you know, just about any geek, uh, any geek property across the board is 
so if you love the franchise as a whole, if the if the whole thing means something to you, then uh, then on the spectrum you will relate to it. On one on one extreme of the spectrum is I because I worship the franchise, I am automatically going to love this new thing because it is an extension uh, of uh, this this thing that I adore. Uh, on the extreme other end of the spectrum is the way that I choose to worship this franchise is by holding everything to an extreme exacting standard of if it fits my image of what the franchise is meant to be. Uh, neither of them are, neither of them are wholly wrong. Uh, I will say that I personally definitely lean more to the former, uh, because to me, my, my whole thought is what is the point of enjoying a franchise? What is the, what is the point of enjoying a story if, the new chapters of the story uh, if you don't enjoy the new chapters that come out. I totally agree with you. There is a certain amount of, you know, the, when my wife and I get into an argument, sometimes the argument becomes about the, I don't know if this happens to you, sometimes the argument becomes about the argument. You were having mm-hmm. a little argument about something, but you are now angry at the words or tone chosen by the other party mm-hmm. in the argument. <laughs> and inevitably, yeah. the argument becomes... You wouldn't you don't treat people that way. You don't say that to someone. You wouldn't you wouldn't say that to your friends. You wouldn't say that to someone you know at work. Why why would you say that to me? At the mm-hmm. same time, you feel unbelievable intimacy and and trust and hope with something that you love, someone that you love that much. So with Star Wars, um, as with any familial relationship, I think, there is both a predisposition to love and yet you are able to be hurt by much more easily. Yes, and I you're think right. It's it is be because really... because we are willing to let our hopes soar so high, it makes us all the more vulnerable to being hurt if those hopes are uh, if those hopes fall short. And that's going to play very much into the discussion of how this film is being received and how this film is doing. Uh, mm-hmm. Because well, yeah, let's should we, talk should we actually re- talk about the movie? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, let's talk. Let's talk about uh, the movie. Solo, a Star Wars movie, uh, was uh, is the fourth film made in the Walt Disney era of Star Wars. Its budget was two hundred and fifty mm-hmm. million dollars. It was written by Jonathan Kasdan and Lawrence Kasdan. Lawrence Kasdan, who famously wrote Empire Strikes Back and and Return of the Jedi. And that's my Han Solo, right? The Han Solo in A New Hope mm-hmm. is is different by degrees from the Han Solo you get in Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. So when I think of Han Solo, I don't think about the guy at the bar shooting Greedo. I really think about mm-hmm. I love you, I know Han Solo. That's the yeah. that's the Han Solo that that I know. And that is the one that I embrace. So Lawrence Kasdan came back to write this along with his son. It's interesting, a movie that has so much fathers and sons in it, that it would be written by these two. But uh, the guy who defined and created Han Solo, as far as I'm concerned, uh, is 50% Lucas, 50% Kasdan. And Kasdan's the one who's writing this now. Mm-hmm. It was directed by... <clears throat> It started being directed by Lord and Miller, who are two directors who worked together and created things such as the Lego movie. And they had in mind to make a true, different, um, almost comedy Star Wars. Could you do Star Wars as a almost like an Iron almost like an Iron Man two, where you have a plot and you have a script, 
but you dance around it where you do a lot of improvisation and you sort of make it up as you go along. They did that, you know, for instance, The Godfather, there was a lot, you can do it in serious movies as well. In The Godfather, they had a basic Mm -hmm. script and let the actors do what they were going to do. They didn't have to follow it. They would just let the cameras roll and essentially relying on good actors and the chemistry between them. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh, That's interesting to me that uh, halfway. Well, go ahead. Finish your thing. When the movie got done through like 70, 80 percent of the way done, they turned in a first assembly of the movie and showed it to Kathleen Kennedy and uh, Disney. And as a complete blindside to the directors who said they were blindsided by this, they were fired like right then. 70 to 80 percent of the movie Hmm. is done. And they were like, yeah, we don't. Disney said we don't agree with how this movie is coming out. It doesn't feel like Star Wars, it's not what we wanted. It's not what we're going for. And why do you hire the guys who made the Lego movie if that's what you're going to do? But that's what they did. Mm-hmm. So what they did is they brought in what a lot of people think is a very safe choice, which is Ron Howard. Ron Howard, who has famously made great movies and then people forget has not made some great movies. Um, Ron Howard... Uh, best known for us as a kid, uh, either as uh, Little Opie from The Andy Griffith Show or as Richie Cunningham from Star Wars, but as a, uh, R- as Richie, a wait, director, Richie Cunningham from Star Wars? I'm sorry? You said Richie Cunningham from Star Wars, which would be amazing. Richie Cunningham from Star Wars is Ron, is Ron Howard. Yeah, so th- R- R- Richie Cunningham is not a character from Star Wars. Oh, I see. From Happy Days, same thing, really. <laughs> Although now same I've thing, got really. images. Of, now I've got images of the Fonz flying the Millennium Falcon, and like, uh, <laughs> and if the hyperdrive's not if the hyperdrive's not working, he just hits it with the side of his fist, and it kicks in, and he's like, "Hey, punch it, Chewie." That would so be awesome. So it's worth noting, along with with things like Splash and Cocoon, Apollo thirteen, and Ransom, a Beautiful Mind, for which he got, um, uh, for which he got. Uh, an Academy Award, Cinderella Man, uh, along with things like that where he has been you know, very, very successful. He has also made, for instance, uh, the, the Da Vinci Code trilogy and the Jim Carrey remake of The Grinch. And there are movies that he's made that, and, and others that are not as good. And especially recently, they've been not quite as good or they've been perfunctory. He has never done yeah, anything. But- he's never done anything that is... Where you can look at that and go, other than it being a well-made film, he's never done a movie where you can look at it and go, that's a Ron Howard movie. I get that. That feels like Ron Howard. He is. I would still. Well, I would. I would slightly disagree with that. In that, um, I mean, sometimes director. Some people define good direction as you can definitively see the personality of the director. uh, You know, their touch on the story. Uh, Other people prefer the idea of. Uh, a good director's work, uh, you know, I'm borrowing a phrase from lighting design, but, you know, the the best work should be transparent. The audience shouldn't notice it. Um, you know, just the, the list that you've given with Ron Howard's films, uh, Apollo 13 and Cinderella Man and all of them, those are, those are absolute top-notch movies. Um, I would rank Ron Howard in terms of if you're, go- if you're looking for a safe bet, I mean, there is no such thing in Hollywood, but Ron Howard is about as safe a bet as you like. I'd rank him in the same area, in the same degree as Spielberg in terms of and Spielberg has put out some really bad movies, uh, uh, but he's put out a couple of really bad movies. Uh, there have been there have been movies that are that are 
like angels and and demons. But here's the thing: it's interesting. Angels and demons. I I, I would watch film. angels and demons. I would. Oh, I loved. I I loved the film of angels and demons. Um, I would now, watch that. This. He would, released Frost Nixon the day before, the year before, which is a great film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Put so, put any of Ron Howard's clunkers against Indiana Jones and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Well, that's a rarity, sir. That's a rarity. Everybody but, but, doesn't. But, but I'm saying, yeah. and and which, one might argue the problems with that film are largely that Spielberg did what Lucas wanted. Yeah, but you know, I'd still well, we'll disagree on that one then. But so, regardless, yeah. Howard's a big name director. Sure. Yeah. No, I agree, and I don't want to rag on Ron Howard. Ron Howard's made even some films like I I defy anyone to go back and watch Ransom and say that it's not a tight thriller. It's a really good movie. So I I I dig Ron Howard's work a lot, but he was not what Disney had been doing, which they had been bringing in fresh blood who comes in who come in with a vision. And you got to admit, JJ Abrams <clears throat> came with a vision. There was the thing he wanted to do, and as did um Gareth Edwards, as did as did Ryan Johnson, as did Lord and Miller. They came in with this vision, mm-hmm. here's what we want to do. <clears throat> the question yeah. becomes has that worked for Disney so far? And that's one of the things we're going to talk about. I guess we can lead up to it by going, The Force Awakens remains the highest grossing film ever made, as well as, 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 well as Infinity War has been doing. It has not been able to top out The Force Awakens. It had a huge, biggest opening mm-hmm. weekend ever and then started to slide down. Um, Rogue One did well enough, but it was not going to do as well as the, as the cultural touchstone that was Force Awakens. Force, everybody saw Force Awakens. My grandmother saw Force Awakens. Like everybody mm-hmm. saw Force Awakens. Because well, also that was it was a, it was the first Star Wars film in you know almost twenty years. Yeah, it's worth it's worth like noting that there, it came at a time when the world was ready for it. Everyone went to see it. So so then you had Rogue One didn't do as well, and then you get to it didn't do as well. But like people go, oh, that was a great one. Like people, that's so different. That's so you know different than what Star Wars was. Somebody's really. And again, worth noting in Rogue One, they didn't exactly fire Gareth Edwards, uh, but they did, when the movie was mostly done, bring in a different guy, Tony Gilroy, to write new stuff, direct new stuff, and re-edit the movie, with well, Gareth let's, Edwards let's talk being about- allowed to remain on the set to consult, but the reins were taken from him because Kathleen so- Kennedy wanted to be a new way, so all of the... Star Wars stuff, the big space battle uh, at the end where you're using, using clips from the original, the whole Darth Vader scene in Rogue One, all of that was done in reshoots from Tony Gilroy because Kathleen Kennedy was like, I didn't want Saving Private Ryan in space. This needs to be Star Wars. And so he made it's it interesting. So Star Wars. Let's, let's, let's talk about the concept of a Star Wars story, which both Rogue sure. One and Solo are. Um because the, the it's interesting that you bring up Saving Private Ryan because yeah that was abs like the film was essentially billed or a lot of the talk about it was this is the Dirty Dozen or Saving Private Ryan um, yeah except when is, you get to you, the end you've heard me say you have heard it me looks say before and feels like a New Hope and you get Darth Vader suddenly because it was decided it needs to be more quote unquote Star Wars so what is that, you I'll have heard you me you have heard me say before that uh, sometimes the best superhero films are not just superhero films, they're genre films that happen to have superheroes in them. Now, the Star Wars saga practically is a genre in in and of itself. Um, I mean, like like you said, there's just certain things, certain touchstones that make it, you know, Star Wars saga. To a certain extent, I feel like the idea behind a series of films called A Star Wars Story, you do have the opportunity 
of saying, you know what? We want to make a genre film and put it, you know, it just it's a genre film that happens to be in the Star Wars universe. I think that's, to many of us, that was sort of the original idea. Um, I mean, uh, Solo is straight up heist film. Like, that is the genre. Uh, this has so many uh, similarities to uh, to heists, heist films like The Score uh, or any other of those films that involve intricate plannings, you know, uh, betrayals for the sake of uh, betrayals, as well as, you know, decisions about whether or not to keep the score or to, to give it up to a higher purpose at the end. Um, it sounds like from what you're describing with Kathleen Kennedy is that the question is, to what extent are they willing to let it be a genre film? Uh, Rogue One was certainly more, mili- it, it certainly felt like more of a military film than a Star Wars film, than other Star Wars films had. But you're right, it was still definitively a Star Wars film. Uh, it's worth noting that I think the scene that people remember the most from Rogue One was Darth Vader uh, cutting his way through all of those people at the end. Um, sure, and let's keep in mind that the Solo end, and just moments before Darth Vader's cutting his way through people at the end, you have X-Wings battling TIE fighters in space mm-hmm. about with none of the main characters, with none of the people that we're supposed to be following. It's all brand new people or people we've seen in old Star Wars movies showing up to do a B story to the A story that we're following, and the B story is essentially Star Wars, while the A well, story continues ask, to be something completely so let me different. A- let me pose the question then to you then. Um, do you feel, uh, like, because this is probably going to come down to personal taste. I mean, clearly Kathleen Kennedy has, you know, said how she feels about it, which is you can't go too far away from the from the source feel. Um, what would you like? Would you like to see some Star Wars stories that are, that are true departures from the saga? Um, and, you know, experiments uh, with genre, you know, to see if they work or not. Or do you feel it's better to have these sort of hybrids, if you will? Uh, like I'm, solo. I'm happier with the hybrids, frankly. Um, I yeah. want when I go to see a Star Wars story, I still it still needs to be a Star Wars story, and it, mm-hmm. I don't want to see a movie like if this movie had and you could have done this movie without seeing a single stormtrooper, right? You could if you were to cut yeah. out the section of this movie that is Han working for the Empire, which frankly you could have cut out. You could have had Han on Corellia at the beginning of the movie meeting up with Woody Harrelson and going from there. You didn't need to have the Empire at all in this film, and yet they show up here and there. You could have cut everything Mm -hmm. out. The film still would have made sense. It wouldn't. I needed the Millennium Falcon to be fighting TIE fighters. I needed to have stormtroopers showing up and the cameo at the end was lovely was wonderful for me i Mm -hmm. needed it to feel like it was within star wars especially because as you and i have talked about i'm a big i'm a i'm a hog for canon i'm a hog for the big story going on in all of star wars so Mm -hmm. knowing where this is in history in the star wars history if i don't see something that reminds me of the empire I'm going to have a problem. The question for me, the experiment mm-hmm. needs to be, can you tell your heist film within Star Wars, yeah. not without And it's it's Star also, Wars. if this were a TV show, um, you know, like if, if this were a smaller sort of thing, uh, I would love to see, you know, I would be perfectly happy seeing a miniseries, you know, or a Star Wars thing that, that didn't even mention uh, the Empire. I'd be perfectly happy well, to read a novel Clone or a Wars. comic. That's the great thing. We um, have two... 
two yeah. series where they can take three episodes and you're to in, just do a random little you're story. in an alternate reality force area with a bunch of force gods mm-hmm. stuff that would never that, that you would never imagine the death star when that's happening yeah. but you can do that because three episodes later you're going to be having lightsaber battles and and you know plane flights but you can have mm-hmm. same thing with with rebels you can have an area where there's an episode that's all about the metaphysics of of are they force created giant dogs mm-hmm. and yet you can do that because three episodes later so you can have self-contained stories but eventually i think you do need to pivot back to star wars so i yeah. i kind of prefer and with film and films are so and films are so, so they're such a big deal they're so few and far between that uh I'm inclined to agree with you on that. It's like you really can't. Uh, if there were three Star Wars films a year, yeah, uh, absolutely. I, actually, if there were three Star Wars films a year, you would absolutely have to throw stuff in there to really change it up. Um, but uh, but at the current pace of it, which uh, and I'm perfectly happy with this current pace. You're right. They really do need to. Uh, there there does there does need to be something Star Warsy about everything. Well, let's go ahead and talk about the film. Let's, yeah, in, let's dive in on question. into this one. Because we've taken all of our time and we both have kind of hard outs uh, in about 20 minutes, 25 minutes. So let me go through the uh, the plot real quick. You guys have just seen it, so I'm going to go super fast. Um, the plot of Solo, A Star Wars Story, taken largely from uh, Wikipedia. We start with an opening crawl. Um, what I mean is that we start with a bunch of blue lettering that provides exactly what an opening crawl would provide. Han Solo, or just Han, is living on Corellia uh, with his girl, Kira, and they both get a chance to escape, but at the very last minute, only Han is able to and Kira is left behind. Han, trying to escape, decides to enlist in the Empire to be a pilot, which is what he sees as his manifest destiny. Instead, he ends up an in- infantryman in the trenches as the Empire is trying to take over a planet where the Empire is, in fact, the bad guy. Looking to escape and get back to Corellia to save Kira, he joins up with Woody Harrelson playing Woody Harrelson. But Woody Harrelson says, no, we don't have anything to do with you. Gets Han trapped by the Empire, thrown down into a Rancor Pit. Do I mean Rancor Pit? No, I mean the Beast. Who's the Beast? It's a Wookiee named Chewbacca. But luckily, Han speaks Chewbacca's language, Wookiees. After a brief and hilarious conversation, Han and Chewbacca join forces and are best friends forever. They join up with Tobias Beckett, who is the character played by Woody Harrelson, and his band of outlaws as they steal a ship from the Empire and go to find Coaxium, which is basically the MacGuffin of the movie, the thing that everybody's trying yeah. to get. It's a special fuel that's that's worth tons and tons of money you, to anybody you can't who can have, have a it. heist. You, you can't have a heist film without a good MacGuffin. It's just a requirement. Yes, absolutely. The, the, the unobtainium. So... So in a daring do and amazingly shot train heist, they managed to get all the coaxium and everything's going swimmingly until Enfys Nest, a group of marauders, shows up, blows the whole thing to hell. We lose main characters, wonderful main characters, by the way. Uh, oh, God, so good main just- characters. We end up with L3, who is a beautifully done, very woke uh, robot. We end up with... Uh, I'm sorry, we don't end up with L3. L3's later, sorry. We just end up with Tobias Beck, um, and I forget the lady's name, and I'm sorry uh, about that, but I forget her name. Uh, and well, but the she, lady she dies looking- there, too. Uh, yeah, sorry. Thandy Newton, Thandy Newton plays Val, Val Beckett. So we end up with Val... 
Uh, oh, she does die there. Yeah. So we just end up with Tobias. Be- Sorry, we just saw it moments ago. And believe me, we're going to have this movie memorized by the time like a month goes by. But for now, end up with just Beckett, Han, and Chewie. They join up with Lando Calrissian, who Han beats, but unknown- unbeknownst to him, was cheating at a game, or, or Lando was cheating at a game of Sabacc. So Han is never aware of the fact that he beat Lando in a bet for the Millennium Falcon. So the Millennium Falcon with L3, the robot that I was talking about before, and Lando and Han and Tobias Beckett and Chewbacca go to face Dryden Voss, uh, who is the head of the Crimson Dawn. And he sends them off to he sends them off to go get the coaxium, unrefined coaxium from another planet. They go to the planet and a heist ensues where they go there along with Amelia Clark playing Kira, who has been rejoined, who's been working under the thumb of Dryden Voss and the Crimson Dawn. All of them together go to steal the coaxium. A rebellion is started. L3 is lost. They escape through a maelstrom where it takes 20 parsecs to get through this Kessel run. And yet Han figures out how to do it. In 12, by doing a shortcut, makes me so very happy. They end up Oh, I, back... that's going to be the first thing I talk about when you finish this, but yeah. They, they, end, up, they end up back on a very Tatooine looking, except for an ocean planet, where they meet the Marauders and find out the Marauders are actually just... just People, just in some cases, kids trying to get together enough of the coaxium to fund an upcoming rebellion against the Empire because of everything the Empire and Crimson Dawn has done for them. So in a last minute twist, a Tarantino-esque twist where one person betrays another and one person betrays another and one person betrays another, we finally end up with a battle that ends Dryden Voss, ends Tobias Beckett, and Han and Kira get a chance to make their way together. Han hugs and kisses her, leaves her behind she says i'll be right there and then she locks down the room and we find out that she has been playing dryden voss the whole time as she speaks to the head of all of crimson dawn who is darth maul han realizing that she's not going to come goes with chewbacca on uh goes on with chewbacca to win the millennium falcon back from lando carissi and the movie ends with the two of them going to tatooine to work for some gangster named someone the hut and credits roll cool so, all right, let's, you know what? Let's dive right in. I got to talk about the 12 parsecs. Um, and this is just it. from my own story. Yeah, so we're um, not going to follow the plot. Me- we're not going to go step by step through the plot. We don't, frankly, don't know it well enough. Every time we do a superhero movie, it tends to be one that we've seen and digested a number of times. And then we go to you, um, given that we have only so much, so much time and you've just seen it. You don't need us to walk you through the plot. We're just going to talk about the thing that really stood out to us and really sort of probably the things that you are thinking about. I hope that you guys are thinking about. Um, we may revisit it at some point. Normally, for those of you who don't usually listen to the Totally Super Podcast, we kind of try and go chronologically through the plot as much as we can, along with jumping off on things. But in this case, we're just you, you try you, you anyway, try sir. to go chrono you try to go chronologically through the plot. I have never cared. Um, go for it, sir. The uh, so twelve parsecs gave me tremendous validation, and here's why. Uh, so I live down in Orlando. Um, I have worked for the parks on and off. Uh, and of course, Disney has a few Star Wars themed shows uh, that, uh, you know, they're constantly developing. Uh, Star Wars Land is going to be opening very soon. So there's a few more shows that they're going to be doing. And uh, anytime they have a show that requires uh, an actor, they will have auditions for it. Um, the The kind of monologue that you will hear at these auditions frequently uh Unlike with a lot of other standard theatrical auditions, it's it's really not that effective to just pull something from 
uh, you know, a monologue book or something. You you need to do for a lot of these shows. You need to show that you're actually a little bit up on the Star Wars knowledge. Uh, so I forget exactly which show it was for, but I specifically went in uh, as a presser, as a professor, giving a 60 second dissertation on why uh, 12 parsecs was actually accurate, even though everyone made a big deal about how it was a unit of distance, not time. And I specifically, and this was, I was pulling this. Uh, you know, I was making this out of whole cloth. I specifically referenced uh, that, no, no, it's because the standard Kessel Run takes you through a safe route, uh, but there's this other route that takes you through the Maw, uh, which I had found on some Wikipedia page or something, and it requires a pilot of extreme, dare I say, you know, suicidal skill in order to thread that needle. That's why everybody takes the standard, uh, the standard safe route. Uh, and it just so happens that the Maw... Uh, that going through the maw is 12 parsecs. So essentially, exactly what happened in this film, you I came up maw. with you a year ago. You said the word maw. I said, I said the word maw. You're welcome, they took it Star from Wars. You. They still they took it was from, like, oh, yeah, that's a great The casting idea. director for Disney took it. Yeah, that's what happened. The casting director for Disney took it, thought, that is amazing, went back to his people who talked to their people who talked to their people who talked to Kathleen Kennedy, and here we are. You're welcome. There's a world where that's the case. I'm not saying that's the case. <laughs> <It> absolutely is. <laughs> but there's a world where that's the case. Um, I'd like to talk real quick. Let's talk. Let's just run through the cast and how they do real quick. Um, I want to talk first about uh, Alden. Oh, man. Alden Enrenreich. Enrenreich? I wonder if he's German. Um, as Han Solo. This guy did not give anything that is a trailer-worthy performance to his detriment. Because mm -hmm. if you think back, if you think about the original trilogy, especially the original Star Wars, Han Solo doesn't do anything in the original trilogy that plays to cutting a trailer. He just kind of is. There's a mellowness to what he's doing, whereas there's a theatricality to everyone else. What he's doing, you could maybe get him saying, I love you, I knew you know, you could maybe get him saying, Yahoo, you're all clear, kid. But in general, mm -hmm. it's Han's pervasive attitude that gives and there's nothing really that han solo does in those movies that would and i talked about this on the trek off feed as well that that is trailer worthy and alden to his detriment did the same thing in that every clip you showed of him in the trailers didn't work everything that he gives you in the trailers just seems like i'm a pilot yeah what is that it just none of it worked in context of cutting a trailer together and I am on record as going this guy doesn't look like he's going to work for me this guy mm -hmm. was concerning he doesn't seem charming he doesn't seem I had you know, I had hopes for him because I'd seen his work in Hail Caesar which was wonderful yeah no he was good in that but that's nothing that he did there screams Han Solo you know what I mean you wanted it, the trailer worthy Han Solo is, you know, 10 years ago would have been Nathan Fillion. Now is um, Chris, uh, not Chris. Is it Chris Pratt? Yeah, Chris Pratt. Um, yeah, Chris Pratt. Um, so this guy was giving nothing like what a trailer worthy Han Solo was. We've mm -hmm. talked a little bit about how about what a find Donald Glover is. But and it's worth noting Alden had the harder of the two things. You couldn't come in and do an imitation of Harrison Ford. And at the same mm -hmm. time, you needed to evoke Han Solo in a way that made us completely accept him. Well, I you would make say a good point there, and that a lot of Solo's real charm is very subtle. Like Donald Glover, uh, I, I love both Alden and Donald Glover's work. Donald Glover, to me, was a much more clear, like, oh my God, that's Lando. 
but part of that is also because Lando's mannerisms and attitude have always been kind of larger than life. That is easier to evoke. Um, there were only a couple times during the film uh, in which I saw, in which I was watching uh, this guy's Han Solo and thinking, oh my God, that's totally a, that's totally a similar grin or something to like what Harrison Ford would do in this moment. Um, I do still feel like he embodied the, it was much more like watching somebody, uh, you know, somebody, it was like having seen somebody that you loved playing Hamlet 20 years earlier. And then you see this other person who's playing a, who's playing Hamlet. They don't look the same as the other person, but you feel like they are embodying the character and making all of the same choices for Hamlet that you loved 20 years earlier, even if all of the mannerisms are not exactly identical. Um, I agree with you. It's the, the comparative that you would do, of course, is the 2009 uh, release of Star Trek, where you had Chris Pine evoking mm-hmm. Kirk, but not doing, not doing Shatner except a couple of times. There's two mm-hmm. or three moments where he lets himself Shatner up, but for the most part, you would never imagine that the guy you're watching is the same guy from the Star Trek television series. Mm-hmm. But then you also had Zachary Quinto playing Spock, who's doing a dead on looks like him, sounds like him, especially the way he looks like him. And then Carl Urban doing a perfect. And Carl Urban's DeForest Kelly was, Oh, I loved it. But Carl Urban looks nothing like DeForest Kelly. So really Zachary Quinto is my, is my go-to where he is doing an imitation. He looks like him. The moment you see him, you're going, Oh my gosh, that's Spock. Whereas Chris Pine Mm. has the harder job of having to carry the film in his own version of Kirk not his own version of Shatner. And I think Alden, right. I don't think Alden does it, does it as well as Chris Pine. I mean, Chris Pine was a fine, Chris Pine is, I am, put me on record as being of a huge fan, a huge fan of Chris Pine. I didn't walk away with this, a huge fan of Alden, but he pulls it off. Mm-hmm. There's no question, there's no complaints as to what he did here. He pulls this yeah. off and manages to do what all of us, arms folded, were convinced could not be done. So if the movie succeeds or fails on any other thing, let us be glad that this thing, the thing the movie says on the poster it's going to do, Solo, he does it. He gives it to you. He gives you Solo. Mm-hmm. I am down. You? Yeah. Um, I, I, would, I would agree 100% with that statement. Uh, I want to divert from the characters real quick. So I'm looking through my notes and something I want to make sure I get in. Um, I need to give a sh- mad shout out to uh, the soundtrack. Uh Rogue One was a film I very much enjoyed and really did not like the soundtrack for. Um, I thought that it was, at its best, uh, unmemorable. And at its worst, uh, there were moments where the soundtrack actually ran counter or did damage to the emotions that the scene was trying to evoke. Uh, I felt like this was the exact opposite. Um this soundtrack was a fantastic combination of new stuff uh, as well as, you know, not just paying homage to the original, but really sort of building on it. Uh, when Han first glimpsed the Millennium Falcon and the theme just really, really swells and you have that da, 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 except it's really, really slowed down uh, in order to, to capture the majesty of it. And it's a different chord progression underneath it, uh, which... I love because it's it is a very clear callback to this definitive Star Wars thing, but lets you experience it in a in just a slightly different way. Uh, there was an example of that: um, the Millennium Falcon versus the Tie Fighters. Uh, 
and they pretty much played the exact theme from, uh, uh, I think, from the trench run in Star Wars. Yeah, from the trench uh, run, which would have been more effective because it's a theme you hadn't heard from the trench run until they did it in in the Last Jedi, where they did in play Last that Jedi. Exact that's theme. true. Yeah, if you if you just and the thing is, in Last Jedi, don't get me wrong, I loved when that theme came in. I didn't feel like it like it was as necessary, or I don't feel like it fit as well as it did in Solo. Like here, there is literally somebody in the dorsal gun firing and tracking with the exact same like firing tracking system that we saw in New Hope. Like here, it was a perfect fit. Um, and then using uh, the Bulgarian Women's Choir for the Marauders theme. Uh, the Bulgarian Women's, women's Choir, it's kind of hard to describe, but pretty much anytime you hear a chorus that sounds like the opening to Xena, Warrior Princess, that is uh, Bulgarian Women's Choir. It is. It has a, it creates a very strange, very exotic, uh, sort of otherworldly uh, feel. I was taken it. out by and, the, cor- the choral uh, thing, probably only because as soon as they came, they started singing, I, like, I started saying to myself, Holy ass, it's the juggernaut. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah. So, but that's you know, that's me. That has nothing to do with the, you know. The, the one would say that the after the original trilogy, the greatest piece of music written for Star Wars was with a chorale with the Jewel of the Fates. Was so, yeah, Jewel of the Fates? Absolutely good. Yeah. The music is is spectacular. It's something that I would like to listen to. On its own, and maybe I'll do it today. I have some driving to do today, so uh, so maybe. All right, uh, so cool. Hand off to you. What else jumped out at you? Through the cast, real quick. Woody Harrelson. Again, when I heard he was going to be in the movie, I was like, "Really, really, Woody Harrelson?" Star Wars has always been so good about not sort of stunt casting someone that you already know. Woody Harrelson has this way of the minute you see him, you go, "Oh, it's Woody Harrelson." And then five minutes mm-hmm. later, and it's not like he's doing anything terribly different. Five minutes later, you let it go and you forget it, and he just gives a solid performance. Yeah. So I would some say he actors, does the exact same are, thing here. There are some great actors who uh, who succeed by transforming themselves completely. Uh, Gary Oldman being a tremendous example of this. And there are other actors like Woody Harrelson who succeed by doing one thing and doing it really, really well. I did want to say that uh, regarding the character of Beckett, the turn at the end... You could see it coming a mile away. Like when he said, never mm-hmm. trust anybody. I was like, okay, so what's going to mm-hmm. happen? The, like you knew what was going to happen at the end of the movie. The minute he said it, he was going to be the one who turned at the end. And yet the very final moments that he has where Han shoots oh, first. Where Han, shoot, where, where Han definitively shoots first. Yeah. Well, did you feel like there was a bit of that? Did, did you, were you taken out of the movie at all by the Kessel run slash Lando calls him Han slash Han shoots first. So, you know what I mean? I think they like, were, clearly they're going... The, well, the, the, the Han shoots... Here's the thing. The Han shoots first didn't bother me at all because uh, that moment, I felt like that moment captured so much of Han Solo's character, possibly more than any other moment in the film where it was essentially... Not just that, but as soon as he shot him, he ran over to hold him. Um, it was the... You know, it's sort of the Malcolm Reynolds sort of thing of here is somebody who is... He's a good guy. He's going to do the right thing, but that doesn't mean he's going to do it in the right way. Uh, and just the, I always love it when somebody breaks the trope of the, you know, the traditional way that scene would have played is Han would have said something, Tobias Beckett would have said something, there would have been a back and forth, and then one of them said, well, I guess let's do this. 
and then it would have gone into the action by Han essentially just jump cutting that uh, with the shot. Um, that's always a tremendously effective thing. Uh, that being said, there were other aspects in it. The one that really jumped out at me was when Lando turned to him at the end and said, I hate you. And he said, I know. I mean, I know. yes, that was clever. And, and funny. I have a really good feeling about this, and, yeah. which was my favorite. I think it I was... It, it, it it did seem like it pandered a little more than it needed to, but I bet that's large. Here's the thing. That comes down to whether or not you like that kind of pandering. If you do, then this movie did it really well. Um, I do. I, I probably I would do. have preferred a little bit less. I I predicted in I predicted in a pre-solo discussion that uh, that Han would be said. He would be called Han and Han would say Han. I predicted the conversation. And the conversation happened mm-hmm. just as I wanted it to. So it was distracting to me in that I didn't get to enjoy that moment because I knew that moment was going to happen before it happened. But that being mm-hmm. said, there's enough other things that, you know, that five seconds isn't going to bother me. Let's talk about Amelia Clark as Kira. Um, yeah. You know, I will say this. She's fine. And I enjoy, for large part, what she's doing here. I have been, I don't want to say disappointed. She's not doing anything wrong. Amelia Clark as the Mother of Dragons on... Game of Thrones has always worked. I feel like she's still trying to figure out what her non Game of Thrones thing is going to be because she, she was, yeah, of course, she hasn't really Sarah Connor in, in the Terminator movie that came out recently, mm-hmm. and here she's fine. She doesn't do anything wrong. She gives a fine performance, but I but find myself memorable. wondering if a more dynamic actress could have brought something more. And I feel cruel saying that. I never want to criticize somebody else's acting she's not bad but did Mm -hmm. you feel at all like there needed to be a stronger presence in this role um i didn't feel like there needed to be a stronger presence like you said i think she she did a very solid performance um and certainly no other actress came to mind of oh i would have much rather loved to have seen uh somebody else do this um however you know i i believe it is entirely within the realm of possibility that uh, you know, that somebody could have done more with Kira. Uh, so yeah, I think I'm, I'm in the same boat as you in that. Because Star Wars been, has been doing, you know, lately a real serious focus on strong women and women who are strong and complex. And mm-hmm. she's certainly complex on the page and there is strength that she has there on the page. But I don't sense any of the she doesn't seem to be a match for han i don't see the sense any of the fire and i guess that's the one thing that yeah. i wanted is when she I first, wanted go when on. the character first appeared at the beginning um and since you, you talk about uh you know them uh, disney uh creating strong women characters for it uh when the character first appeared at the beginning uh obviously we know well she's not around in the trilogy so i'm you know and as the uh, as more and more of her was revealed and she said, oh, you don't know the things I've done. Uh, I was thinking halfway through the film, okay, one of two things is going to happen. Either she is going to be the one who betrays them. Uh, that Tobias, you know, when Tobias said, don't trust anybody, she's going to be the one who betrays Han. Or Han is going to convince her to come to good and to actually run off with him. And then she's going to get killed. Uh, it's one of those two things. And I am very, very glad that they did not go with the option of just killing her off. Uh, you said absolutely. You you said that uh, you know that uh, in your in your plot thing that she'd been. It seemed like she'd been plotting this all along. Uh, for me, I saw in Kira she was a tremendous opportunist. Uh, when it looks like the gig is up and Drayden Voss is going to kill them all because Beckett has betrayed them. Uh, 
I'm relatively convinced, uh, or I, I think that a strong case can be made, you know, when she tells Drayden Voss, um, you know, uh, when he asks, what, what would you have me do to somebody like that? She would say, I would ask them to prove their loyalty by destroying something that they loved. I'm reasonably convinced that had there not been a turn there, uh, she would have gone through with it and killed Han Solo for her own sake. Um, she doesn't want to, but if she has she to, doesn't she... want to, but she's a survivor. And if they the do idea, more of when... these, I'd be interested to see how she grows. Cause at the end, she at least seems strong. And I know that she can do that. I would say that yeah. even on game of Thrones, I found her to be more interesting to watch as the later powerful mother dragons than the kind of early, earlier victimized. I didn't feel like she could do that mm-hmm. that well, but she, you know, yeah, the more, the more, age, power, I mean, the more agency she takes, the more interesting she becomes. So, um, okay. We're down to Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian. I mean, what a joy. The minute he oh, came yeah. on, the minute he spoke, I was like, oh my gosh. This is Lando. Mm-hmm. There's no question. He never had to prove a thing to me. The second he was on the screen, I absolutely believed him. He was Lando. That was it. Done and done. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Both the and the character, the capes, the the Lando can't get a break, which continues to be true. Hmm. Um. I I adored the writing and the characterization and the acting of of Lando Calrissian. This was. Everything I wanted. We talked in Deadpool about how Tudbolt gave me not what I wanted. I didn't like it. This Lando gave me mm-hmm. everything I wanted. Everything I could have wanted. Mm-hmm. It was Lando to a T. Um, I I can't say anything more about it. It's just, he was just perfect. Yeah, it was great. Um, I have to, and they, they actually they fleshed out the character a little bit more too. Um, I think one of my favorite scenes in the film has to be in the cockpit where it's L three talking to Kira. Um, and when L3 talks about, like, she's like, oh, I know what it's like to be in a relationship where, you know, one loves because, like, Lando totally loves me. And uh, it's awkward. Um, and, I mean, just the sheer incongruity of it, uh, followed up with by how much Lando clearly does care for L3. Uh, I, just, I, uh, I guess I'm really more talking about L3 at this moment. But I was uh, seeing so her in the trailer. L3. Let's do it. Yeah, well, so seeing her in the trailer, I was thinking, oh, that looks vaguely interesting. The trope of the mouthy, the mouthy killer droid, um, that's kind of been played to death now. Uh, you know, it was done so well in uh, not just Rogue One, uh, but um, in all of the in the old the old video games of Knights of the Old Republic. One of the best characters was the mouthy killer droid. Uh, it's a great trope. I thought I'd seen enough of it. Um, and that's what I thought we were going to be getting with L3 based on the trailer. Um, by making her, as you say, uh, so woke and so, like, they really gave her a goal and a purpose that she was absolutely pursuing with dogged determination. Um, now you add charming personality on top of that, and what you have with is a droid character completely unlike any I'd experienced before. And I loved every minute of it. Um, I want to touch really bri- briefly on Thandi Newton as Val, um, and she's fine. She's not in the movie very much. She does her job really, really well. She reminds me a lot of uh, Zoe from Firefly, yeah. um, and does mm-hmm. that well. Doesn't take her around the film very long, but you know, dig her a lot in what she does. Uh, Juna Suotamo as Chewbacca uh, again. 
he worked with uh, he worked with uh, Peter Mayhew in The Force Awakens to do the more physical things. So in The Force Awakens, it was both him and Peter Mayhew as mm-hmm. as Chewbacca. Um, and so the the torch has been officially passed between them. The two are friends. Mm. And mm-hmm. so now this, you know, Peter Mayhew is not able to do what he used to do. He has terrible knees um, and it's standing is very, very hard for him. So he would do yeah. the close ups and, and the occasional standing things in The Force Awakens. But when it came time to run, they need to get this guy. Um, do so- you feel do you feel like the movie did a good enough job of uh, developing Han and Chewie's relationship? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, I maybe better than any other film before. Um, I think that Chewie has been clearly just Han's sidekick and has only when you get to The Last Jedi, really, do you have Chewie operating in sort of a, a, a mode where you get to see him as a person. In this mm-hmm. movie, I enjoy learning about who he is, what he wants, you know, kind of where he's come from. It, it's interesting. Like I said, I just watched episode three last night and watching how, and it is P- Peter Mayhew in there, how wrong he looks, how quaffed. You know, where he is on Kashyyyk when it's getting invaded, which I, mm-hmm. I enjoy as a scene. And then seeing where he ends up here, where he looks like the scraggly Chewie that we know. Um, I feel now a saga-wide arc for Chewbacca. And this film is the piece that was missing that made it all come together for me. Like episode mm. three, I get that he was on the planet where Kashyyyk was being invaded. And then episode four, he's with Han and doing that stuff. And he's, you know, by the time you get to episode seven, he's still with Han, but he's aged. And then the last Jedi finally lets him be something else. So this is what Here, was missing. How is, is because my brain can fill in the gaps then and go, oh, well, so he's on Kashyyyk and the clones took over and then they enslaved him and then this happened. And then he was here. He was with Han. Even if they don't make any more, we see how he became Han's sidekick, how he ended up in the Millennium Falcon. And then we see him in episode four. And by the end, we see him with Rey. Okay, now I get the sense of this guy's life. So, yeah, mm-hmm. here's I, the- I, I, yeah, very much. Um, I, I, I like the way that you say, yeah, it really does. It create this piece now actually puts Chewie in a complete and total arc. Um, you're right, completely right on that. Here's the thing that bo- here's the only thing that bothered me about it, and I'm actually hoping you can talk me out of it. Uh, and I think I might actually the reason I feel this way might be because I'm a victim of having read all the extended universe stuff. Um, what I knew of the relationship between Han and Chewie is, you know, Chewie had sworn a life debt to Han that Han had done something so great and so intense uh, that Chewie had said. I am, you know, for the rest of your life, I'm your guy. And uh, I don't know to what extent that is canon, according to the uh, the films. Uh, probably not that much. Uh, so what I was expecting was an absolute clear moment of Han doing something major. Uh, I really did. Don't get me wrong. I liked the moment where on, uh, on Kessel, where Chewie had a choice to go with his tribe or go and help Han and the others, and Chewie making the choice to go with him. I really liked that moment, um, but I didn't fully see. I didn't see the reason why Chewie decided to just stick with Han instead of going back to find his tribe once the whole thing was done. Does that make sense? It does. I think that you are being poisoned by the EU. It's worth noting that you and I have had conversations before where where you said the EU was your Star Wars more than the films uh, that you yeah, read. at you, least originally. 
Well, I know it it makes sense that it would be well, the case. You watch two hours is, watching the film. A book takes you, you know, 20 hours to read. Yeah. And there's way more books Grand than Admiral Thrawn, Grand Admiral Thrawn is hands down my favorite villain in the Star Wars universe. More than Vader, I'm so glad he's Palpatine. canon now. Yeah, well, like, and, so well glad- I was... That was the big that I have never squeed as much for Star Wars as I did when I saw the trailer for Rebels and Grand Admiral Thrawn stepped onto the stage. And by the way, I read the original Thrawn trilogy. I will come straight out and say I feel like the new Thrawn books, also written by Timothy Zahn, are better than the original Thrawn trilogy. I feel like I he's got more of a sense of the character. Yeah. So um, I suggest them highly. Anyway, um, I think that you are being poisoned by the books. When you, I had no idea mm-hmm. about a life debt. I hate that. I hate the idea that it's a life debt. They're pals. That's why they're together. They're mm, pals. That's a good point. Yeah. I, I, in the movies, they were always just pals. There wasn't a life mm-hmm. debt. If, if it's a life debt, the fact that Han is always screaming at Chewie, who is essentially his slave, to like, 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 I don't love that. I love that, that they're just pals and that they, you know, they're the team supreme and they, that's what they do. Mm-hmm. They just go out and do what they do. And so the idea so, that it so it's all the sense because, of so they hang to so it's a continual choice that they always you know they just stick together because you know they're the, it's like this is my they're buddy. like an old this married couple they're they're like an old yeah. married couple oh is, I like I like is, that a lot yeah I I I the, the, when you just said life debt I was like ugh I just I the idea that that he feels indentured in some way to Han makes me uncomfortable I don't like that at all I so, had never yeah, thought I had never better. thought of it that way but you are absolutely right. See, and there you go. You talked me around. Well done, sir. Yay. Well done. There's one more guy I want to talk about. Paul Bettany as Dryden Voss. Now, let me say this. In the absence of knowing anything about Paul Bettany, Dryden Voss is fine. He's your typical menacing, mustache-twirling British villain, right? He's just... Mm-hmm. He's just, There's nothing completely original about him. What I loved about him mm-hmm. is that, much like watching Cable in Deadpool, we just watched Paul Bettany. We, we just, just watched, watched him play him Vision. In... in Avengers and you know what this is so different it was only halfway through the film yeah. I was like oh my gosh that's the same guy and it's not like he looks terribly <laughs> different like in, yeah. in Avengers you get to see Vision without all the Vision stuff on him so you get to yeah. see what Paul and Bettany Vision looks like is, and I love it Vision is arguably one of the most lawful good characters in the Marvel Universe and uh, and to see him you know do a total shift that was that was quite a delight yeah no it was wonderful uh, the the sword fight at the end that you, I guess you have to have with Amelia Clark. It felt perfunctory. It was fine, but like you could clearly, mm-hmm. they were like, God, someone was, someone said, we need to put a lightsaber fight. But well, we don't have any lightsaber. Just do this. Go do it. Just give them energy um, knives. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. It'll work. It'll do it. Um, but I was down. We could talk about the plot. We could talk about the twists and turns. Um, we don't have that much more time to talk about that. Uh, so um, let's just talk about the last thing. Uh, again, we're probably not going to be revisiting this because we're going to get back to superhero movies. Certainly, I'll be talking about it on Trek Off. And if you want to talk mm-hmm. uh, talk to us on Facebook about it, like please do. Um, please because do. Because we yeah. are curtailed by time. But we do need to talk about one more thing, which is at the end of the movie, uh, we find out who's been running Crimson Dawn. And it's Darth Maul. Or just okay. Maul. I want. I want your. I want your quick thing. Good idea. Did it work? Yay or nay? It worked eighty percent. He didn't look quite right, and that was the only thing. Just because Ray Park is older and bigger now, um, mm-hmm. and it is still Ray Park, uh, and he's not bigger, fatter. He's bigger, like super muscular now. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a part of it where the look looked. Uh, it was almost like Yoda in uh, Yoda in the Last Jedi. Something about it mm-hmm. was just not quite right, but it was good enough. I. 
I didn't hear gasps from the audience, which is what they wanted. I was thrilled. Mm-hmm. I, I think other people who didn't watch the shows probably scratched their head. People who didn't mm-hmm. really know the prequels. I, I heard like, a lot of people. T- that was like the big thing I heard when I was leaving the theater. That was the big thing I heard people talking about. They were just like, how could it possibly be Maul? Which, you know, yeah. made me feel like a good little fan for having watched Clone Wars and Rebels and knowing I know how. Yeah, we know we know the answer. I loved that he was there. And here's the reason that I loved mm-hmm. it. Um, I think that like A plus in conception, B solid B in delivery. The reason in that makes perfect sense. The reason that I loved it so much is that when Disney first bought Lucasfilm, there was this sense, especially from J.J. Abrams, that we were sweeping the prequels under the rugs. They were like, mm-hmm. this is not, that's not our Star Wars. We're going to shoot on the same cameras that they shot the original trilogy on. We're not going to mention anything from the Clone Wars. We're not going to mention anything from anywhere. This is all just, let's get back to the Star Wars that we love. It was a reaction to people not liking the prequels. It felt very much like. Mm-hmm. Um, Rebels changed that somewhat, but I was so excited to see Jimmy Smits in Rogue One. I was like, oh, they used the same guy. Like they used oh, Bail yeah. Organa and it's the same guy. And suddenly it was the first inkling that I got outside of the TV shows that, yes, the prequels were part of the saga still. They weren't mm-hmm. saying that because there was a sense of we're not getting rid of the prequels in the canon, but we just don't talk about it. Um, yeah. The presence of Maul here and and other little things that are mentioned. I felt this like when in The Last Jedi, when Luke says the words Darth Sidious, I was like, <gasps> he said Darth Sidious. It's real. It's really mm-hmm. happened. Um, the presence of Maul here says, you know what? No, sorry. Sorry. No, we're not going to say that the the films that Lucas worked the hardest on, the films that carried the, the Star Wars saga to a new generation, whether or not us old guys liked it. Um, and I did. I'm a, I'm a, an apologist for the prequels the those films are real those films did happen those films are part of the saga as much as anything else and darth maul deserves to be up here it was a validation of of the prequels for me which have grown in my esteem with the exception of of episode two but having like i said having watched episode three last night there were problems. There were some fatal problems. There were some unforgivable mov- moments. You know, no. But by and large, how could anyone not think that that's a that, that that's a compelling film? I I don't get the hate for that one in particular. I feel like it just carries the hate from two along with it, and the fact that it makes a few mistakes gives people something to latch on to. But the abandonment of the prequels always bothered me. So the reintroduction of the prequels into the filmed universe, into the, the uh, big screen universe, I was, Arthur, I was so happy. I was so oh, happy. Great. It meant now, more you, to you me and than I just have, the presence of Maul. Yeah, you and I have gone on record many times on, I mean, we have a clear difference in opinion as to the prequels. Um, however, I think the thing in which we both definitely agree on is that this new direction of Star Wars under Disney is they have gone to the prequels and taken all the things that really, that indisputably worked about them and brought them forward. Uh, I have gone on record in saying the as much as Phantom Menace was a horrifically flawed film, uh, to my estimation, the final fight between Obi-Wan and Darth Maul uh, is one of the best fights I've ever seen on film. Not just because it was cool moves, but you could feel the emotional rage, uh, particularly coming uh, from Ray Park. Um, Darth Maul has been a great character. What they did with him in Clone Wars, fleshing out his character, made it and even Rebels. better. Um, 
And this was great because when they kept talking about when, you know, when uh, Draven Voss said, there's somebody even higher that I have to answer to, of course it raises the question, well, who's it going to be? And I'm sure there were a lot of people who were thinking that the figure that was going to be in that chair was Vader. Uh, or the Emperor, when yeah. When Kira contacted him. And that, or Vader or the Emperor, and I'm sorry, we've used that reveal too many times. If it had been Vader there, I'm sure there would have been people, there would have been people who went, oh, I would have gone, oh, well, of course it's Vader because they always use Vader. Darth Maul, I was in no way expecting whatsoever. Uh, I feel like they needed somebody that all of the fans knew already because there's nothing like that kind of payoff of, hey, it's this character that you remember, but oh, look where they are now. Uh, and they couldn't do that with Vader. At first, I was thinking maybe it was Jabba. Um, I actually, in many ways, kind of think Darth Maul was the perfect choice for it because it was a character that everybody knew and absolutely no one was expecting. Yeah, I know. I agree. I was, and so let's talk about reception real quick since we're kind of gearing that way anyway. On Facebook, mm -hmm. I have seen mostly positive for the film, but I've seen some people go, it sucked. And it, one person saying, this film is the first Star Wars film that seemed to actively want to anger me. Um, and maybe it was the presence of Maul at the end. These are people who, you know, who by and large have disliked the prequels. Um, and so I think that, that maybe that's what made them mad. I don't, I don't understand hate for this film. The only thing I could mm -hmm. understand for this film would be it felt light and fluffy and insubstantial. And Star Wars is supposed to be more than that. I could get mm -hmm. that as a criticism. If somebody wanted to criticize the film in that way, I could go, okay, I disagree, but I, I get that. But there's nothing in this film that, that can make me mad. And I want to go back to what we said at the beginning of this podcast, which is, it's worth noting that this film, I'm looking on Box Office Mojo right now. This film was supposed to open uh, $250 million this weekend, which was going to make it the lowest grossing of the new Disney era Star Wars films. Um, mm -hmm. It is instead, looks like it's going to open to $115 million, which puts mm -hmm. it right around the same as Deadpool. Um, it's mm -hmm. coming in like $30 million short. It's coming in so low that, so low, huh? Um, that it is, it is the lowest grossing opening weekend for a Star Wars film since episode two. People mm -hmm. are not turning out to go see Solo. Um, and so when I go on Facebook and I see people going, there's a lot of people. And again, I'm on record as thinking that you and I had a conversation at one point about the difference between Japanese uh, Japanese narrative and American narrative, where American narrative is is based on the play or Western narrative is based on the play and Japanese narrative is based on the poem. Um, mm -hmm. And if you go, you know, a thousand years back, you know, the Japanese narrative was all it was all poetry and or not all but for the most part and then western narrative was, it was, was largely it was less western western narrative is much more plot driven eastern narrative is more experience driven things don't need and to so make sense as much for me the last jedi is a poem some doesn't make sense but mm. it is it is about the emotional experience of it for that reason i i adore the last jedi but i have grown to and i've read enough criticism to go i understand why people hate the last jedi i don't mm. hate the last jedi I really like The Last Jedi. I disagree with the things that they say are problems for the most part. The you know We did not want to see someone getting milked, um, but with the exception of that. Um, so I 
feel like this is this is a reflection of people checking out. There are people I know who would never would have never missed an opening weekend for Star Wars who didn't go see mm-hmm. this on Facebook going, you know, I'm just going to wait and see and see what I hear because they felt burned by The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. I think that that plus yeah, the and fact also, that and nothing. Uh, I will say nothing in the trailers did the tra- There's not a single trailer for Solo that did anything for me in terms of getting my Well, and let's going. also note the, the trailers for Solo. You know, the first trailer for The Force Awakens came out over a year before it opened. And then they waited and there was another trailer. And then they, they let the, the excitement build. There wasn't a trailer for Solo until like January. Like there was not. Mm-hmm. They were. they So is it the. The production history that everyone knows that knows about is it the reaction to the Last Jedi? Is it the fact that we're putting it right next to Deadpool, which literally just came out, which came out right after Avengers: Infinity War? Like are people, like okay, we've seen our stuff. Like we've we've we are we are blockbustered yeah, we're, out. We're blockbustered at, out. Yeah. At this I, point, uh, um, I, I agree with all of that. I think it was might it the also proximity reflect- to the Last Jedi. Even if everybody loved the Last Jedi, is the idea that hey, this isn't Marvel. Where you can, where you can say, well, this is we're going to do Ant Man next to Avengers: Infinity War, because this is this is a guy you've already known, you've seen this guy in in four movies already. You're just seeing a young version of this guy, and it doesn't have a lot of the iconography. There are no Jedi. The trailers weren't great. You put it in the middle of well, the I summer, think and you put it. I think what we're well, seeing oh, here uh, to go. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, what what I was going to say is, you know, the the dollar theater here, The Last Jedi was still playing like right before Black Panther came out. Like it just it feels like it just came out. It feels like we just got done debating whether or not we liked The Last Jedi. So all of a sudden there's a new Star Wars. Well, and I think that's what's reflecting what, what you're talking about here is a reflection of the change in what Star Wars is going to mean to our culture uh, before. Before the prequels, Star Wars was this amazing thing that, you know, this amazing cult hit. Uh, then the prequels came out, and the prequels were a big effing deal, and but mostly a big effing deal in the sense of it just like, oh man, what a letdown. Uh, for And not, you know, not necessarily talking about you or anyone else, but just sort of across the board in general. Um, Force Awakens, like you said, huge turnout because, again, we'd been waiting for so long. Um, up until three to four years ago, the template for Star Wars was you're going to get a few of these movies every 15 years. And that gives them this, you know, this true epic stature, uh, you know, every where where the release of a Star Wars film was nigh on a historical event. What we're seeing now is a shift into a strategy with it, uh, much like Marvel, in that it's like, no, now we're just going to make more Star Wars films. We think it's a good world. And... So we're just going to keep making them. Uh, And that has pros and cons. One of the cons to it is that it means Star Wars films are going to, like the release of a new Star Wars film, even one that's, you know, part of the saga, is not going to have that same uh, momentousness to it. Uh, It's going to feel a little bit more, not pedestrian, but commonplace. The pro of it is, hey, so it's essentially where... We're getting more Star Wars, which we like, and it's and so far it's Star Wars that I like. Uh, I'm getting more of this thing, but it is the uh, there, there is always a, a bit of a trade off in that. Uh, what's the what's the Shakespeare line? When they seldom come, they wished for come. Uh, well, whereas I think, with this, I think the other one, the other part of this is when you're the prequels and you're coming out every three years, 
you can suck a little bit, but people want to go see you because you're Star Wars. Yes. I think that that the problem that you are also having here is that even I, I mean, you didn't go see it opening night. When's the last time you didn't go see a Star Wars movie when it first came out? I know a lot of people who went and saw it. There just wasn't, when I went in, I was really pleasantly surprised. I really liked it. I really want to see it again. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't, you know, it didn't feel like, yeah, it just felt like one, I had seen it. Two, I'm still a little exhausted about debating The Last Jedi. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. You know, hashtag not my Star Wars. Um, and I keep saying that because, you know, they've been saying this forever. You know, they've always said, mm-hmm. you know, oh, it doesn't end. There's no ending. Oh, there are Ewoks. Oh, there's Jar Jar. Oh, Hayden Christensen. Oh, no. Oh, it's just a rehash. Oh, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, oh, Luke wouldn't do that. Like, I feel like everybody always wants to complain that it's not their Star Wars. But Last Jedi took so many chances. I think that you can't take that many chances at least those kind of chances with the saga films right now. I think that the Star Wars story needs to be where you don't like, like I dare I say that, that Star Wars is in trouble right now, I think because you people who have decided they don't want to see solo because of the last Jedi and because of the proximity to it, this one's not going to do that. Well, I don't know if they're going to make a sequel to this and it's set up for a sequel. So I guess you'll always have a chance to explore it in other ways. Um, but you like right now, they need to spread out Star Wars a little bit and they need to somehow, I like Catherine, Kathleen Kennedy needs to talk to Kevin Feige over at Marvel and go, look, how do we, how do we make it all good stuff coming out and we play it relatively safe, but we give you some like, like where's the formula that's that you can play around. Where's the, the structure that you can like sort of, you know, jazz wise, you know, improvise around to make interesting films, but still making it. So it's the Star Wars that people want to see. Because The Last Jedi was very much about, let's take everybody's expectations of what they think. The Last Jedi, you know, the, the, and I love they did it, but I can see why people wouldn't. The thesis statement of The Last Jedi was the big reveal, here's the lightsaber, and we're tossing it aside. That's the thought of everything. The idea that Ryan Johnson had was everything that you think is going to happen, let's do the opposite of that thing. And I think that there needs I, uh, to be look, a little... Here's the thing. I want to, I, w- I want to, um, just because you and I, could get into a three-hour conversation about sure. uh, about Last Jedi and Last Jedi's effect as a whole. Um, okay, so let, so I, let I just me, want let to address my thought. That in that in that when I what I'm saying because I there's a, a specific clarification I need to make, not for the sake of me, but there is a crowd out there that needs to be pleased with Star Wars right now, and I feel like Solo does it with a plum, but. The crowd needs to be, you need to win them back. You had a, you had a weird, you had the band put out a weird concept album with Last Jedi, and now they need to put out an album that sounds like their old hits a little bit because so here's the thing. And I, I, I disagree with that assessment. Um, I could be completely wrong. Um, but this is my perspective. Star Wars is not in trouble. Um, I live in Orlando near the theme parks. I see what's coming. I see what people are wearing. Trust me, Star Wars is not in trouble. Um, I think this thing with Star... So Solo getting less, uh, you know, a much smaller turnout than they were expecting. Um, Yeah, some of that might be part of Last Jedi burnout. Um, I think that's possible. I also think it's just as likely that what we're seeing is Star Wars becoming commonplace. So the need to get out and see every film is not as much it's just it is a it's an inevitable part of that transition that i was just describing yeah no i i agree 
I just want, you know, I want Star Wars to beat Marvel. And so, you know, we will mm. see where they go. I'm certainly this film is good. They're going to be some some long conversations in offices, the marketing department, the writing department, the, you know, the, the, the ideas of what they were going to do and where they were going. Certainly, Kathleen Kennedy, you know, come come Tuesday, there are going to be some long meetings, I think, about what do we do? And these are good, smart people. You know, Kathleen Kennedy, you can blame her for everything you didn't like about Star Wars. Fine, do it. But keep in mind, she was also there for much about what you did like about Star Wars and most of the, the films from your childhood. You know, she was she was there on Goonies. She was there on E.T. She was there on Indiana Jones. So she's she's a great producer, not just good, not just great low, lowercase. She's a capital G great producer. So even if there is a feeling that the, that the franchise is slightly off track, I guarantee there's going to be some conversations about, okay, what do we do to make you like it even more? And I'm fine with that because guess what, guys? I loved Han Solo. I loved Solo and I love Last Jedi too. So if they are going to focus, if they're going to get even more focused on how do you make me like it more with people who know how to do that, to produce groundbreaking, wonderful films, I'm down. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do that. Let's make me like it more. So... All that being said, on a scale of... Of one to five parsecs. Of of one to five parsecs. How did you like uh, Solo, a Star Wars story? I would give this a rock solid four. Um, I really had... I had a great time watching it. I thought there were some great moments. Um, I am not going to walk away from this one thinking, ah, that was life-changing. It was just really, really solidly good. Uh, And... The reason why I'm giving it a 4 and not a 4.5 is for what I touched on before. This is the first Star Wars film to me that just kind of felt, hey, hey, that was good. Every Star Wars film before that to me has either felt, oh my god, that was amazing, or how dare they? Uh, So uh, this was the first film that, this was the first Star Wars film that I was just like, yeah, cool. Uh, And there ain't nothing wrong with that in the long run. Um, So a, a very solid four stars. I'm going to give this 4.5 uh, parsecs because my default for Star Wars is 4.5. That's my default for Star Wars. If you, <laughs> failed to, Point. if you failed to give me what I want, I will lower you down as low as a 3.5. Uh, uh, you know, that two, really reminds me. I, I, I have to get, cut in. That's just maybe, so episode perfect. two, maybe, maybe okay. a three. Um, why does it get a 4.5? Because it delivers my, you know, it's. It is the it is the Outback Steakhouse of like it's gonna give me a good steak. It's gonna be good. Yeah. It's gonna be really really good, and it better be. It better be really good. It's Star Wars. Last Jedi is a solid four point four. Force Awakens and Empire gets up there to a five. Episode three is on a five for me. But if I were to rank the Star Wars films as I as I like to do, and I've thought a lot about this, it's still going to be uh, Empire, then Star Wars, uh, Empire then Star Wars, then Episode 3, then Force Awakens, then then Last Jedi, then Return of the Jedi, then Rogue One, then Solo, then... Uh, no, then Solo, then Rogue One, then Episode 1, then Episode 2. Um, I know mm. you guys are going to hate that Episode 3 is that far up for me, but that's where it is. Um, so these are... Yeah, I... Like, and I ranked it Sorry, so low ahead, on there, but it's it's because all of those are good. Like all of those are like you say life changing. Yeah, it's life changing. I loved it. How often do you get to have something that great that you love? Yes, I love it. It's great. Go see it. You want to see it. Go see it twice. Star Wars needs you. 
the fact that you put that you start your default for Star Wars at four point five, it reminds me of something my uh, reminds me of something my uncle told me as a kid. Uh, he was specifically referencing Star Trek because he was a big Star Trek fan, but I think it applies here. Which is Star Wars is like pizza. At its best, nothing can top it. At its worst, still pretty good. Now, yeah. granted, it was wasn't it wasn't until ten years later that I realized that probably the when that quote originated. It wasn't talking about Star Wars, and it was talking about something completely different, which my uncle very wisely did not bring up to me as an 11-year-old. But I yes. think the theory still stands. I, I agree with that. It's, it's Star Wars is... The default on Star Wars is 4.5, not because I'm just giving it, but because Star Wars... When, it, when it's Star Wars, I'm enjoying it as much as any other movie that I'm rating 4.5. Giant smile mm-hmm. on my face. Go see this film, guys. It's really good. And yeah. uh, no, that's that a strong film. thumbs up from both of us. Go see superhero films and come listen to us talk about it every week as we review every single superhero film ever made. We might be finally time to go into the Wayback Machine before Incredibles 2 comes out and start getting those X-Men uh, recordings that we had done so long ago out to see you. Uh, but for now, my name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. And hey there, true believers. Stay super. Now that you've finished the show, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode of the Totally Super Podcast. Also, if you like this, you should head over to geeksradio.com or search Geeks Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. There you can find Trek Off, the not safe for work Star Trek so podcast Trek with Trek Justin off. and Search Alexia. for Pop Off, search for Geeks Radio, and just thanks for joining us. This has been a presentation of Light Entertainment.